You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations, and forward thinking, and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing, but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Noise. All right. Everyone take a deep breath. Don't tell me what to do. Omar, roll that blunt. (laughs) Make sure that you are as high as possible for this. Oh my God. I wish I had one right now. If I'm going to be talking about Jesus, I should be high right now. (laughs) Honey, no, we don't need drugs. High on the Holy Spirit. All right. right. (laughs) Okay. So. Hello, Fade to Gray listeners. This is Seth, and today I'm bringing you an interview with the one, the only, Carl Forehand. Carl Forehand used to be a Southern Baptist pastor. In fact, he was my pastor. Praise the Lord. Uh, Right? He was my pastor back uh, (laughs) in the day growing up at Big Lake Baptist Church in Big Lake, Missouri. Hallelujah! Mm -hmm. It's the middle of nowhere. Uh, It's a very small church. Come on. Um, Can I get a witness? Carl, so I have a personal relationship with Carl, (laughs) and one of the reasons I really want to do this interview is because a lot of things have changed in Carl's trajectory of his faith, specifically from when I was uh, going to his church um, to now. Um, Carl has written a book that came out in July of 2019 called Apparent Faith. He wrote- Abhorrent Faith? No, Apparent Faith. Apparent faith. Oh, okay. Carl, do you have the book? There it is. Can you read that? A P P A R E N T faith. Your parents' faith. Yeah. <laughs> it's a play on words. Yeah, don't don't we all live off of our parents' faith? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> to some extent. Well, Carl has written two books prior to this one. Um, and this book really centers on a lot of his deconstruction. And as many of our listeners know, uh, we did do a post-deconstruction series last year. Um, So this will be a little similar to that, um, but I want to really unpack this because I feel like Carl's story has a lot of things that are beneficial for anyone Um, deconstructing their faith, considering faith, or wanting to jump in or dive out. Um, He also runs his own podcast called Carl's Coaching, which I would highly recommend um, that each of you check out. Is that like life coaching or what? Yeah, and now it's it's called uh, the Desert Sanctuary. It's kind of been been changed over time, but you run the three four or the four three <laughs> four three always. <laughs> well, how are you doing, Carl? Doing pretty good. Just taking a couple months off work, um, writing the book that we we might talk about. Um, going through my deconstruction and all that. And so for the past year, I've worked uh, at a place called Lowe's Hardware. Um, heck yeah. Making, oh, heck yeah. That's like that's, my favorite that's store. That's like my people's mecca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also know that Magellan Healthcare serves as your employee assistance program. You have five free counseling sessions per issue. You have a free legal and financial consultation. And you have like work-life services, like, so you if you ever want to kill yourself, you'll be talking to Seth. Just think, just think that, <laughs> no, keep that in mind. There's help available. I have a lot of confidence in you. Well, so you've been working at Lowe's, it sounds like. That's right. And so, you know, I just, I still have student loans for my children and things like that that I need to pay off. So I'm 
I'm looking at something different now. You got to vote for Bernie or uh, Elizabeth and you'll get those paid off in a heartbeat. There you go. Oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> Who invited Chris here again? <laughs> I know. And it's, I did. Uh, and I know that there's a lot to unpack politically, but I do want to center this conversation um, on faith. So, and specifically your new book. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about Apparent Faith? Yeah. Uh, probably a couple of years ago. I'd say it's probably getting closer to three years ago now. Um, you know, I had been um, from the pulpit. I had always talked about, and I think you could verify this, Seth, that I'd talked about love and grace, and um, that was more of my focus. So it was never as retributive as some people are. Um, but about three years ago, I sat down and had breakfast with my adult children, and I realized as they were talking politics and things like that, um, that I was learning from them, that, that the things that they were saying, uh, you know, and it was probably something as simple as they said, you know, Dad, you can't say you should believe this. You need to say, I believe this. And so some of those things, you know, kind of resonated with me. And I, I said, you know, if they're teaching me, that means I've been complacent. Um, and I realized that in my faith, I had been... Um, uh, certain, I, I don't know if this means anything to you guys, but but certainty was a big thing in our faith, that we had to be certain about what we believed. And because we were that, a, a lot of times that closes you off. And then you stop learning, you stop growing, you start stop um, being receptive to the things around you. And oh, yeah, so, we're familiar with that. We had Pete Inns on recently with a sense of certainty. So yeah, yeah, and that's that's that. one of the books I wrote. Yeah, I read. Yeah, and so uh, that just kind of propelled me uh, to begin examining my faith. And it, um, I, the way I looked at my faith was to look at look at how I'd raised my children. As I look back over the years raising my children and um, going through things with them, it caused me to examine what I believed about God. Um, and so that's that's where the book kind of originates. And as I was going through that, I uh, began to examine um, how I felt about God based on um, what it was like raising my children. For example, um, one of the things I told my children was, I will never um, turn my back on you. That no matter what you do, and Seth knows one of my children, children very well, um, J.D., who's in Taiwan. And I, I said, you know, no matter what you do, I'll never turn my back on you. But I was in a faith that said um, that God, because of our sin, can't look at us, that he turns his back on us, that we are um, separate from him. Separate. Yeah, separate. And, and I had told my children, I'll never do that. And I know all parents don't take that approach, but... But the thing was, the thing that hit me was, God can't be worse than me. If God is real, if God is something especially that I'm going to worship, then I, uh, he can't be worse than me. She can't be worse than me. Right. Um, and so, um, those kind of things. It's amazing how kids can change your faith, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and um, you know, in the book, I go through about 18, 16, 18 things that were like that, that I, I had just accepted. I had just signed on the dotted line, said, I believe this. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I didn't know if I could accept that anymore. 
Um, <clears throat> and so I started writing the book to help me through the journey, um, not to convince anybody, not to to say that anyone else had to believe what I'm coming to believe, but I just couldn't buy it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And, and about uh, two and a half years ago, Laura and I, we were walking down the road and I said, I can't do it. I, I can't go back there. I can't keep dancing around um, these issues that I'm having a hard time defending. Does that make sense? What were some of those issues? Like what, what are, yeah, let's talk about that. So some of the issues that that come up in faith that you're having a hard time dancing around them that you, you know, you just can't reconcile in your mind or whatever. What are those issues that you're having trouble with? Yeah. One of them, I, I would say a big one, of course, I think eternal conscious torment, just the basic idea that is God retributive or is God restorative? I, I don't think he can anymore that he can be both. He, he can't be retributive and um, he can't have a worse temper than me to start off with, but he, he can't be retributive and restorative at the same time. Um, that's two different hearts. Um, and so that, that was good. You know, um, are we originally bad or are we originally good? And, and, and originally not bad, Carl. Yeah, but, but raising my children really challenged that. Um, and maybe not as much my children as when I finally had grandchildren. And I looked at those grandchildren, looked them in the eye. There was no way that I could say, this Said is you bad. You little sinners. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're so bad. Um, it, it, it really, um, you know, my son, my grandson <clears throat> was um, born with, a, in utero, he had a, um, a virus. He contracted a mm. virus. And and so now he has issues. We call them developmental issues, right? Um, but looking at him in the NICU, um, looking in his eyes, and I talk about that in the book, um, it was just good. It was all good. Um, and there was no way that I could say this this being is originally bad. Um, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, is God in control? Um, all of those kind of things. I, you know, I think one of the things I talk about in the book that really challenged me was uh, somewhere in this journey, I had an, an, an encounter with a guy in a tea shop in Taiwan when I went to visit my son and uh, really experienced uh, love in a different way from a Buddhist guy that couldn't speak my language. Uh, you know, and, and all of that uh, is just what I wrestle with in the book. Not that I came to, you know, any grand conclusions, like um, everybody should believe what I believe now. Um, but I just I just tried to wrestle with all of those things. Um, you know, it, something as simple as, uh, celebrating when I, when my kids learn how to to ride a bicycle, I remember that. I don't I don't know if you guys are even old enough to have kids that old yet, but some <laughs> of you are younger than that. But <clears throat> when you when your kid finally gets the sweet spot and they 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 take off riding their bicycle, the whole family's out there celebrating. Um, we celebrate that time together. Um, 
You know, what we don't do, we don't tell that kid, now that you've learned that I've taught you how to ride the bike, you need to go tell the neighborhood how great I am. Um, and some of you know where I'm going with this. Right. We don't, um, you know, say you need to praise me for what I've done for you. Uh, we just celebrate together. And, and, and if there is a God, then, then I think that's more what he's like. I, I think the Father, Son, and Spirit are, are celebrating. They're in a, some people call it a dance. Uh, they call it the perichoresis, the, the dance of the three members of the Trinity. That's I, a great I, way to look at that, Carl. Like, honestly, for so much of my, I grew up Southern Baptist personally and then mm. ended up in Assemblies of God later in life and actually got credentialed through Assemblies of God and thought I was going to be a pastor or missionary, whatever it might be. For a while, then I saw the actual inner workings of the church and got way mm -hmm. turned off by the whole mechanism that, there is, <clears throat> that it is. Um, but that's always something that I wrestled with, too, what you just kind of described. It's like, is God really that fin finicky and like that worried about being recognized constantly and being like spoken about it, it just seemed like it seemed like if this is true about our creator he's incredibly too needy uh, you mm -hmm. know it's like it's almost like has like mental mm -hmm. issues right <laughs> it's like what's, yeah. what's going on he's got it's a like, split personality yeah right if my friend lives that way i would have issues i'd be like dude like you know you need you need help you know and it's like mm -hmm. why do i want to worship a god that i believe this is a, this is his personality is like that's right that's right that's right yeah and we you know now i think our focus is on these days my wife and i um we walked out of the church um we had gone for 20 years 25 years probably um just going from from a, a career type thing as a church you know being a pastor and then um took a break but still went to a church, and then for two years after stepping down from the last church, we still were in a church, and we just we just got to where we couldn't do it anymore, mm. and stepped out. Um, and now those are the issues we're wrestling with. What what yeah. was broken about that that we can see now from the outside that we couldn't see while we we're engaged. That'd be my question, Carl. Um, okay. Because obviously, I think a lot of us have gotten to the point in deconstruction. Um, like I said, I worked for a church for a while. I know I could never go back for, for working for a church. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of open to the idea of attending, although I went to one locally around here, and it was just obvious I wasn't ready. I'm not going to put any of my stuff on anybody else, but just some of the stuff that was being said in the crowd there wasn't really what, wasn't the community I was looking for. So, But what is it? that made you have to break community altogether because i'm still maybe in the school of thought that um no i don't need to work for a church we don't need church but we do need community and so if i find a good community that i could grow with then it may be worth putting up with some of the bullshit maybe. right but right but what is it that you just said uh, i just can't even like associate myself with this <clears throat> anymore or some of those things yeah i think i think um there's a lot of things kind of tied together, but i try to be as succinct as I can. Um, one of the things is that we were wounded in church. Um, unpack that. Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> the, uh, 
the only way we were in small town church ministry. So um, what I was known for was going in a place like when we were at Big Lake South and going in a place where, you know, it's tough because there's 250 people in Big Lake. It's a small community. And we were known for being able to go in and relate to people, uh, fit in. You when go you ahead. say 250, that's not the size of the church. He's talking about that's the size the of the town. Town, so yeah. That clear, it was, and I don't even yeah. think they call it a town. I think it's, it's a, a village. village. That's right. Uh, it's so a I just village. want to clarify that. Uh, this it, The church is much smaller than 250. It's yeah, and it's not necessarily. I was going to say, 250 doesn't seem that small. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not, that, it's not the Hillary Clinton type of village. <laughs> it's it's a <laughs> village of people. <clears throat> but we were known, I mean, I was known, that was what Speaking I was famous of village for. of people, uh, I was, as far as there's probably a gay joke in there someplace, I just couldn't figure out where. <laughs> I just see stuff over here about to bust out in the YMCA. He put his headdress go, on Amanda. and everything. <laughs> okay, let's come back. Let's, let's bring it back here. So we're talking about small town churches. And yes, we were. Your role. We were. We were known, I, I mean, I was known specifically for being able to, um, my thing all through life was trying to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. The the big glasses and all that. Um, I, I wanted to fit in. And so that kind of became an art form to me. And a church planter even said, um, what you need to do is, you know, go fit into the community, right? Whatever they're doing, however they are, try to be like them. And so I got really good at that. <clears throat> And so, um, when I was there at that church, I I learned how to hunt because that's what they do. And now I'm, um, ironically, I'm a vegan now. But <clears throat> so that's kind of funny. But um, I would fit in, in you know, to that community. Um, and so the only way to do that is to go in um, open. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to go in and say, I, I, you know, we love you unconditionally. We uh, give ourselves to you, and that kind of opens you up to when people, you know, when you come in the door, people are real glad that you're there. They welcome you openly. Uh, you're going to solve our problem, and 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 usually we did. Usually we helped the church grow. We would help it get better. But then, um, our, you know, eventually somebody doesn't get their way, and especially my wife, Laura, um, when when I didn't cave in to them when I didn't do what they wanted, then um, a hu- when a husband didn't get his way, the wife would kind of come through Laura. And, um, you know, many times she had someone that professed to be her best friend that would just stab her in the back, abandon her, or stop talking to her, and, and things like that. And, and all of those things, you know, are just, you know, we got in trouble for going to a street dance and slow dancing. You know, which which doesn't sound like a big deal. You, you know, you like, um, you know, why don't you just give them the finger and, you know, say, fuck you. But, uh, you, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's different than that. It right. doesn't work that way. And um, so um, we were Do you think we the problem hurt. with that, though, is because of just the structure of the churches where the board's have so much power and authority because it's all about money and keeping the lights on that if you don't keep the board happy, they pastors are replaceable right. type of a, type of a well, thing. So you think that that's why they treated you that way? Well, I, you know, I, I it was different at all three churches. 
think originally there was a male-dominated board that that controlled everything. Uh, the second church was where, the way it should be. <laughs> the second one was where Shut Seth up, <laughs> Seth was at, which was kind of a mixture, uh, more of a Sinners. congregation kind of dominated thing where where. Uh, some assessed relatives kind of controlled part of that. I was getting but, ready to say, I'm pretty sure my dad was on the board. And <laughs> I think that the board was probably, I, I don't know, you would know, but I think it was probably over 50% Showalter. Um, yeah, yeah, at times, yeah. yeah. God, can you imagine the drama oh, in that board? Oh, my Chris. God. So, two things. <laughs> that should be called <laughs> the Borg, not the board. <laughs> two things I want to mention. Simulate. <laughs> Just so you know about the street dancing, in, in order for, you know, my cousins... Jordan and Billy. Street as they dancing became... like pop and lock. <laughs> <laughs> Some B boys. So, but what I was going to say, my cousins, like when they wanted to bring drums on the stage to like do worship for youth ministry, that was a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, yeah. A big deal. In fact, people were very upset about that. I also want to mention that I think I'm curious on the experience of someone operating like a, a church like Big Lake, which is much smaller. It's primarily, um, you know, run by a family like the Shitwalters, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. where, where it's very personal, where in a bigger church, it's not. Like maybe there's right. more, if it, you know, if there's more people, it might not be as severe. I wonder if it's worse running a small church versus a big church. Yeah, and in the end, I think you kind of say... Um, all of that stuff is ridiculous, and and all of it is not about the the bigger goals of of love your neighbor and um, care about people. It gets to be about getting our way. And I, I think one of the things that came out in my book more than anything is that most of the stuff we're doing is based on fear. Uh, it's about fear and control. Um, I, I may not get my way. Um, they may come in and. They may come over the wall and whatever wall that is. And, and you see that in government. You see that in lots of things. But um, that fear and control, um, we even say God is in control sometimes, right? Nomar, I know you've heard that phrase probably over and over if you're involved in the Southern Baptist lifestyle. But, but I don't think God has to control. God's in control and he's always good. And he's always good. Yeah, that's one of my chapters is called God is Good all the time and all the time God is good. But as a former Calvinist, God is in control. That's right. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So God is in control. But um, raising my children, my daughters would occasionally say, Dad, what are you doing? And I'd say, "Um, I'm just trying to help. And they'd say, you're not helping. And what they meant is you're trying to control us. And mm. when you control us, um, you're, you're not letting us develop. You're not letting us start to, start to make the progressions that we need to make. And, and the reason I don't think anymore that God is in control is because God's not afraid. God, God doesn't fear like we do. He doesn't have a panic attack in the middle of the night and go, we better get this under control. We better call an emergency board meeting. Um, I don't think God is like that anymore. Um, I don't think he's afraid, and I don't think he has to control us. Can I ask a question? Uh, yes, yes, okay, please. So let me let no, me start. You're just here to look. Good. Well, she <laughs> does look good. Oh, thank you so much. Um, 
First of all, Carl, I want to say that, like, even listening to you talk is encouraging to me, um, just because my parents are still very fundamental in their beliefs. And I've had several conversations with my parents and I've seen them start to wiggle at least a little bit in terms of, um, uh, maybe some of the literal, uh, interpretations of the Bible. Right. Uh, so hearing, so hearing you speak gives me a lot of hope that I can start making some impacts in, um, my parents' life. So let me start off by saying that um, one thing that I encountered a lot when I was leaving the church was um, that the church itself got blamed for a lot of um, bad behaviors, as the church should to some extent, right? Mm-hmm, um, right. The, the way that people act in the church. And what I found often was often the church was the soul was solely to blame and I guess my question is, where are you at now when it comes to the Bible itself? Because you had said earlier that um, that God cannot be worse than you. However, right. um, I mean, I would say if you look at the God of the Bible, mm. I, I, I would say I'm going to sit here and, and make the argument that you are probably vastly more moral than the God of the Bible. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and that's true. So, so, and. and you know, God is a jealous God and the glory. I mean, I think the Bible is pretty um, clear that the glory is to go to God and everything is for the purpose of his glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so where are you at with the Bible? Because I think that I yeah. I think your message is beautiful. I don't think it's necessarily biblical. So, right. Which which makes me like, I like your message a lot more than the Bible. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I would agree with you. Um, I think that, first of all, the word of God is not the Bible. Um, the Word of God, as described by the Bible, is Jesus Christ. Um, that's what it said. But um, also, but it's, it's not, not like. But it's not <laughs> like Jesus himself was this uh, this guy that came to bring peace. And this, I think that oftentimes when I hear people that don't necessarily want to justify the actions of the God of the Old Testament, but they look at you know, but. I, I have a good relationship with Jesus, and I want to follow what Jesus said. Jesus did not come to bring peace, he but a sword. He came to bring the sword. Yeah. And so, and to, to put put a man against his father, and a right. woman against her mother, so. And if you do not hate your father. Right. Not, so but Don't forget, I, he also turned water to wine. I mean, he was kind of cool. So. <laughs> he <laughs> was also cool. taught us to, you know, turn the other cheek, and rather than walking one mile, walk two, and give your... Do you think he was talking about his ass cheeks? No, I do not think he was thinking about well, cheeks. I think he was. That would be one way to do it. It would be. It would be. Indeed. I never understood what he was talking about with turning the other cheek. If we'd be completely honest, but and I'm not yeah. saying that that Jesus did not have good lessons because I've come very, uh, I come around quite a bit in terms of my um, my animosity towards the Bible, um, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really great lessons to be learned, um, and I think there is even a lot of great lessons to be learned from. Um, the Old Testament, I just struggle with the concept of this figure, Jesus, is worthy of my worship when sure. he came to bring calamity. Yeah. So um, I would say of the Bible, the Bible, and this is where I am today, um, I, I did write a chapter about it in the book, but I would say that the Bible is not, um, it, it's, it's man's book about God, it's not God's book about man. And so there's a verse that says, 
um, all Scripture is inspired and, and it's useful. And I would say that it was prompted, um, inspired by God, but I've been inspired by God. That doesn't mean I'm infallible, right? So, so um, it it was it was a sixteen hundred year period. Um, where people wrote letters, where people wrote down things that they were discovering about God. And it's enough, what I say in the book is it's enough for me to say that it was where those people were at that time and what they understood uh, as they saw it and as they understood it, they wrote it down. Um, and and I don't think they were right. And I made these, the statement the other day to one of um, Brian Zahn's pastors. I said, Listen, Paul didn't get it all right, and he reacted to that. He kind of recoiled to that. Um, but I don't. I don't think Paul was perfect. Um, I don't think no, the writers. Are, and a and complete misogynist. Yeah. So. And I don't. And, yeah. And and, and, and I don't think it's all get out. Yeah, and they would. They would say, well, from Blasphemy. an orthodox, from an orthodox standpoint, then you just don't understand it, right? You don't. You haven't interpreted it right. Oh yeah. But I, I don't think Paul was infallible, and I don't think any of the writers that the Bible. It, it was a sixteen hundred year period where they were writing things down. In the middle of that is the figure of Christ, um, which I'm I'm still compelled towards the way of Christ. Um, um, that that's still compelling to me to love your neighbor. Um, all those things you guys mentioned a minute ago, turn the other cheek, and all those things. But but um, when I when I look at scripture, and, and my wife and I don't don't read scripture that much anymore. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of it we have. You know, it's it's committed to memory, and we've it's been drilled into us, and so we know what it says. Then, then why, but, then why the belief in God? Now you guys why, read the Kama or like, Sutra. Why, why, or why the why the why the Christian God? Why <laughs> yeah, not? I, why yeah, not I, a, a, a Hindu God? The yeah. Buddhist guy that was so loving to yeah, you. Yeah, I avoid. Um, it, I would say I, I believe in that. There's a source. There's a creator, um, and I'm compelled by the way of Christ. That's that's where I kind of am. Would you say that's because that's the way you grew up and that's what you knew? Because that's kind of the conclusions I drew that ha- as well. Yeah. That has has an impact, but I also like people like Thich Nhat Hanh, who, um, uh, you know, he, he wrote a book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. Have you you've seen that book? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also influenced by him. I'm also influenced by the guy I talk about in the book that I wrote a whole other book about. Um, this Buddhist guy in Taiwan that that just sincerely loved me. I, I think that's that's the part that I can't get away from. I can't get, a, get away from that divine love that's but, there somewhere. It's, he was a it's, Buddhist. It's, but could that love not have? But could why attribute the love to any deity? I guess is my question. Yeah, I, well, why why can that love not have evolved just be humanity. over hundreds of thousands of years in humanity? I mean, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, love the message I agree of love. I don't think that there is a more powerful euphoric message than that of love. But yeah, so when so when I go to um, Seth knows where I've been going to church, but when I go to a big church, a regular Christian church. 
they say they say God is here, and they say um, this is your family. They say you need to be here. Come here. Um, that's what we recoiled from. Um, but that love, that love is still there. And I, and I, you say the word Christian, and I almost recoil at that because Christianity has a lot of baggage, and the the label of of Christianity does. And, and and I'm I'm almost totally convinced that that truth comes from all different places. That that I can find truth um, in this. I, I, well, one of the things I said in the tea shop when, I, when I'm writing this second book, um, I said I saw God in this this man, this little man that had no name. He was um, he, he because he but but it was because he was loving me. I experienced that divine love through this guy. I, I think God was in him. Um, it was expressed through him. And I've seen that in in, in Buddhism and in Taoism. Um, and and I, see, I see a lot of that through there. Um, you know, I don't... I'm, can, can I take a swing at answering yeah, Amanda's question? Like, I, I, yeah. I think it's yeah, a good. Que- I think it's a good question, and I. It is. I'm it's thinking, a really good question. I'm, I'm thinking about it myself too, and honestly, I think for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> it's as important for me to see it that way, um, because it reaffirms what I want to believe about God. I guess you know it's like because what you what you believe is your reality. And I, and I understand that. And so for me, I want to see the good in people. I want to see love in, in certain situations. I do believe that there's power in that. And for me, it's almost like call it confirmation bias, call it whatever you it, it is, but it's like, it's there. And so I want to attribute to the source to something. I mean, whatever created love, I think is worthy to, to have my attention like if it's if it was created or wherever it came from like and that's the thing for me and and i think that's where it just comes back to like the eye of the beholder sort of situation like um yeah your parents could give you love and that can be good enough you know or your your cat can give you love and that could be good enough for you it's not like i'm saying everybody has to experience love the same way that i do but for for me it just means that much more with my connections with other people because I can contribute back to like a higher source or a purpose of living or being, I guess. Yeah. And one of the things you, you start to see when you look at other religions, when you look at, at all different kinds of things, you see that invincible preciousness that's within us. And, and you see, you know, you talk about the false self, the true self, um, in, in different religions, different things, describe it in a different way. But there, there's something deep within you um, that's untouched by evil, evil, um, that's precious and good and loving. And, and that, more than defending a religion or anything like that, or defending a, even a vision of God or a... Um, uh, theology of God is I want to find that invincible preciousness within myself, first of all, and I want to see it in others. And I want to relate for the rest of my life to that. And I find that more in solitude than in reading Scripture. Um, but 
You know, I, I think there's some value. Uh, I don't want to go back to Scripture when we're really kind of on a different subject. Amanda, I, I sorry. Talk, Carl, I could talk Scripture with you for hours. So Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't want to defend Scripture. I don't defend Scripture anymore. Um, I, I think we made a mistake 500 years ago when we said sola scriptura, and it's time to have, like Phyllis Tickle said, we need to have a rummage cell uh, in the church. And and it even even people like um, I don't want to mention any names, but the the guys Brian you, yeah, the people you would know. <laughs> good guess. <Yeah. clears throat> okay, that was a great guess, and that's where he goes to church. Everything's good, Brian. Yeah, but but he well he he says that the church should be reimagined, and Joe Beach, his friend, says that the church should be reimagined. But those people that are still inside the church can't do that. Because seventy mm. percent of their their budget goes to, um, you know, and just to be, I I love that guy, but he's 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 pulling along fifteen hundred people with him, right? And he's trying to, you know, bring them along with him. But the, the church has got to be, if it's going to survive, it's got to be reimagined totally. It's got to be reengineered from the ground up. And I mean, I really resonate with with what you're saying there, because one aspect of leaving religion that has impacted me tremendously is I absolutely miss the community. I miss having mm-hmm. a phys- mm-hmm. and and I love the community that I have online here with the fade to gray people. But there is something to be said about, you know, knowing every Sunday morning or Sunday evening, I was going to go and see the same people and have that fellowship with people and just have that human interaction that I think in, in a world with increasing technology, we desperately need is that yeah. human connection. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think that we there needs to be some sort of uh, community fellowship-based um, system that mm-hmm. maybe isn't centered around particular ideology. Yeah. We have, have you yeah. all heard of uh, East Lake Community Church in Seattle? Um I've heard of it. Well, I'm just saying that what you're describing is exactly that. I mean, it's a it's a community where you get together and and the, I mean, you don't worship a particular deity or anything, and you just get together for community. Yeah. So I mean, th- those kind of communities do exist. I think they're probably few and far between. But it, it, you know, if that's what you're looking for, I mean, you can you can definitely look into what they're doing and see if that's something you resonate with we, for sure. We did something. Seth's Seth's involved. Yeah, Seth's involved with something we're doing called Too Many Podcasters. It's um, like six or eight podcasters coming together at one time, and um, sounds like Fade to Gray. Just <laughs> talk, yeah, it's something like just I thought Seth was talk, against all other podcasts that aren't Fade to Gray. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, talking, uh, <laughs> sorry, Carl, that's an inside slap. Keep going. When we, um, <laughs> when we. Um, when we were doing that the first time, the first week, when we brought these six podcasters together and they're talking about some kind of issues, one of the guys said, this is my church. Um, this is my community. Um, I, I think one thing you've got to kind of uh, melt into or accept is that when I do a podcast and have someone on my podcast, I listen to them for 45 minutes. And they have my utmost attention. They have my heart. I'm listening to them. Um, and 
and I don't think we want to discount that and say it's it's got to be church-like or it's got to because what I experience in some of the churches I've been involved with and especially some of the ones I've attended um, in the interim is there wasn't really any community there. Um, we we said or we shamed people. Yeah, at, yeah, at and, and when yeah, superficial community. And when people tried to leave, we shamed them and said, "You got to, you need community. You need to be back here. You bet. You should. You need a place where you need to be." And so we we kind of shamed them. But uh, I, you know, what Laura and I explored in our new book that we're writing um, called uh, "Out into the Desert" is is that. Um, there's a lot of places you can find community. And, and just because we call that religious or spiritual or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that it's community. Uh, it's not genuine. And sometimes people are getting hurt by that community. They're not being nurtured by that community, but they're being told this is your community. This is your family. This is where you should be. Um, there's there's some genuine community that we can find maybe just even by doing a podcast together, maybe doing something like this that we're doing right now. This is community. I mean, I can't, you know, we can't reach out and hug each other. That's the only missing piece. I'd definitely say you touched me today, though, Carl. Like, you've definitely made me think of some things and the way you've articulated some thoughts on God or faith has definitely, you know, touched me for sure. Thanks. What did we cut Seth off? We do that often. Go ahead, Seth. Please. Poor Seth. It's, it's kind of a common thing, Carl. Poor Seth. It, to, Poor where sorry. to where? I'm sorry, bud. To where other members will try to interject for me, and then it becomes a comical joke. Um, yeah. But I was. <laughs> you know, I love you. Yeah. Well, I love you too. I'm not not to mention names, right? But in a lot of these bigger churches, I have known people who have. And I'm not talking about the one I think you were, you're thinking about, Chris, because you gave me that look. Um, but there are where people have actually served in the church, like served for five to ten years. Stacked and chairs they, and everything. Right. And when mm-hmm. they leave the church, nobody cares. Yeah. The only people that would really, especially like Brian, just Brian's on or these other head pastors of churches that have upwards of 1,500 to 3,000 people, you're all you are are a number and a seat, and, and what yeah, and what and you I, do beyond you, that is up to you. But you're yeah. not going to find, you know, the the authentic authentic community um, of really caring for one another unless it's in a smaller setting. Has been at least yeah. that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. And so, so to Amanda's point, when she's saying, you know, I still want that community. I think all of us do, right? We, we all want to be close to people. We all want to love people. Um, but please don't mistake um, false community, an organizational community from real community. And, and please don't diminish uh, some of the community that you have right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, Absolutely. I, I look at... Uh, so I, I own a gym and I had a bunch of my uh, my ladies come in last week and we had a potluck together. Mm. And it was like the and everybody's interacting and joking around and people that, you know, come to an early class and then other people go to a late class are interacting and joking around. And I was like this, like 
This is That's community. fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And why is that not authentic? Why is that not real? I, I think it very much is, right? And, and in a way, it's spiritual. Definitely. Well, absolutely. Right? Food is definitely yeah. spiritual. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as when I said superficial community at church, don't don't send me any hate mail, please. I'm not saying that all church communities are superficial because there's some like 100% like genuine, there's a nomerism genuine. for you, people in, in these churches. But I feel like the community itself, the way it's set up, has it has restraints from you being able to be completely real and vulnerable to without having to like it just it just there are there's restraints and even even in the most like be yourself churches that there are you still can't be yourself uh which it's so there's a there's a lady named sarah bessie she's a preacher and she said uh, that she left the church because there's no room for her grief in church and so um I very much relate to that, you know, and and a lot of the things I brushed off, you know, affected my wife and so on. And so, um, but there's no, in in the typical um, American institutional church, there's no room for grief. We we don't have time for that Um, because 70% of our money goes to, to, uh, salaries and buildings, 10% goes to the the programs, but the programs usually aren't to mental health, which I know Seth wants to talk about. Um, there's no, no programs for mental health. There's no programs for you to have questions or for you to have struggles. There's no time for that. It's just not in that typical model of the North American. Hashtag not my church. No, yeah, <laughs> it's just not. In the program, we don't have time for it, and it doesn't get addressed. So, it, it, you know, is that real community? I don't think it is. You know, it, it's an organization. It's not a – and so we've been able to, to step outside of that, see that from the outside, and and then certain churches say, well, then you're bashing church, and then we don't really have time for you because you're not in our church. Uh-huh. And so – um, we don't really want to talk about it because we don't have time for that. So, you know, there's there's got to be something better. So, Carl, when you say you want to see, you know, the church, re- you know, reimagined or kind of going in a different direction, what does that look like to you? And how do you see people that hear your message and resonate with your message um, implementing that? Yeah, I I think you need to get back to a pre-Constantine um, church where um, people came together, they, they shared everything, they weren't a part of the empire, they weren't um, organized, they suffered uh, somewhat, but they still loved each other. And so I would like to see us get back to that. But when we get back to that, we can't control it. Like communes? We can't or- yeah, we got. I don't know. Oh, listen, <laughs> yeah, listen. Omar the, just really as, wants a commune. The tie. Yeah, as a vegan, that's a, that's you know that's that's um what do you call it? Well, I mean, there's um, definitely going to be cows on the commune. So I mean, but you yeah. don't have you don't have <laughs> yeah. to eat them. I, <laughs> the tie between the church and political parties has been one of the most influential things in the 
world and specifically for America. You know, what the Catholic Church did, the, the church, the Catholic Church did as, as early as 100, 200 BC as they started trying to control things. Um, Constantine joined it with the empire. And then, then we became this, you know, in that, I, I, I just don't think you can control it or organize it. Um, it's got to be an intention of the heart. It's and then be, history repeats itself, and here we are now. Sure, yeah, and it, it's just continued on. So I, I think it's got to be an intention of the heart, where people say, um, my intention is to love, my intention is to um, commune. That's a good word, by the way, Omar. Thank but you. Com- it's a great commune idea. with You're people. You're welcome to have a uh, tiny house on my land, for sure. All right, thanks. <laughs> I'm interested in tiny houses if I can have a big kitchen. You can build it however you uh, want. Like, in fact, all like, right. <laughs> you design it, I'll build it. Uh, and so, Carl, the- how is that in in your view? How is that implemented then? How you go in with the you you have the intention of love, which I think again is a message that. I know most people would probably resonate with. Um, so what are, what are act- actionable steps to be taken to implement um, kind of your version of a reimagined church? Yeah. Any, anytime you start going towards organizing, you know, how, how do you set it up? How do you have a mission statement and so on? Um, well, I'm not even go- talking in terms of like organization yeah. or like a business model. First, you get but- a Patreon and you ask people to join for $5 <laughs> a month to, to, to talk with us <laughs> on, the, on the leg. <laughs> Plug. But, 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 ch- but changes do take actions, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm not even necessarily saying that a group of people need to get together and do X, Y, Z, but even on an individual level, what, yeah. is that, what does that look like? Because I think you say the word church – and what I guess you'd almost have to define what you mean by church then. Yeah, I didn't I you know, am just just not interested anymore in, in organizing or whatever, but I I do think that we have to be intentional about first of all about um my my personal I would call it a practice. So it, it starts with individuals having a practice of, of being, um, you know, with God, you know. And anytime you use labels, right, it gets complicated and it gets limiting. Oh, trust me. I'm part of the LGBT community. We're all about the labels. Yeah, so I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. The alphabet people. So, the alphabets. So, yeah. So it, it, it starts with, first of all, being at peace, being at peace with yourself being committed to loving people. And then it's, you know, I hate to plug things that I'm doing, but this book that I'm getting ready to publish about the tea shop is about a guy that just took an hour and a half to love me. And when I came into his shop to buy a, a teapot, he he said, sit down. And he, he started doing this tea ceremony with him that was probably with me that was par- probably part of his practice, right? He told me about his practice, and the interpreter kind of explained it. Then he loved me. He he shared some some alcohol with me. He um, spent his time with me. He knew that I was vegetarian, so he um, his wife fixed me some food, and and he did like on the teapots. He macrameed a little cord on those things, and he just really loved me. That's all Seth wants. Just a good day. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's let me but, ask you this. I think that's that's what it is and what it's like and what it should be is people doing those things. Doing I one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, acts of service for each other, doing nice things, kind things for other people, taking people in and letting them experience their cultures. But I'm I'm curious, did this guy sell you a teapot? He did. And he did a damn good job. <laughs> yeah. He he also so he found out um we were born in sixty four, the year of the dragons, so he sold us some dragons also. But um you know, even after the but the transaction was made an hour and a half before we left. Gotcha. And he he made the transaction, he sold us the teapots, which uh, they didn't in my in my mind they didn't cost that much. Maybe it was a lot to him, I don't know. But uh, at least he was grateful, you know. Yeah. And at least he was he uh spent the time to, to get to know me and share his practice with me and to to um just just to show me one of the things he did, he you know, Chinese have characters, so he he showed me some characters he had written and it was like a story. Um, and the interpreter was trying to explain it to me, but then he started writing some more characters. And I said, is that for me? And and she said, yeah, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of for you. It's kind of about you. Uh, it's about what we're experiencing right now. And, and it's just really touching. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, Extremely personal. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was, it was personal. Even the alcohol he shared with us was like a celeb- celebration. Um, it was like Everclear, really. It was mm. <laughs> kind of strong, but it, it was like a, a ceremonial kind of thing. They said um, they don't usually share this with foreigners, and, but he shared it with me. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm still reeling from that experience and, and thinking um, – if there's a church, if there's a church that needs to be organized, if there's a church that needs to be something we do regularly, then it's things like that. Um, it's experiences like that. It's it's just just people uh, genuinely giving of themselves to other people. And we talked about that in in the typical church, but we didn't usually do it. Yeah, you get a lot of lip service from the church about those kind of things like take care of people and and you know reach out to the community and all this stuff but like no one's really ever organizing that or or taking the money uh to go and feed people or anything like that it's you know few and far between at least that was my experience with the church um you know we used that money to send kids on missions trips where they didn't really do much except for have fun and you know the the acts of service were some church are doing good jobs of feeding people though just of course, I'm sure they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Carl, I have a, I have another question for you, Go especially because again, like I, I'm loving your message of, um, just like this concept of resounding love. Uh, Is it about the dragon? Ooh, what dragon? Chasing the dragon? What? <laughs> well, no, he, the 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 uh, Buddhist in the tea shop sold him a dragon. I'm wondering if that's a metaphor for marijuana or oh. something. I was thinking heroin because it's not chasing the dragon. <laughs> chasing the dragon, yeah. There's a song called Puff the Magic Dragon. There See, that's on. what I was thinking. I love Puff the Magic Dragon. Go, go ahead, Amanda. <laughs> so, uh, so, my, so my question is, I, I love the um, 
I love this message of resounding love um, coming from your background of being in the church where we're told that we're not worthy of love, that even our acts without God are nothing but filthy rags to God, that yeah. it is only by his grace and mercy that we even have this gift. Um, how did you go from this uh, message of you're not worthy, but it's only because God loved us that you get this love to mm-hmm. now, not only you perpetuating love outward, but also inward. Cause I think yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I, I don't think the church does a good job at all of any form of self love because we're told that we're not deserving of love. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You, you quote a lot of important uh, catchphrases there that they use, but uh, again, it was back to my, you know, when I looked at my children, that I loved them unconditionally. They they didn't, and, and especially in our grandchildren. And when you hear, if you hear my wife's story, eventually it's even more powerful than that, that she, she literally broke down um, during that time period because when she saw her first grandchild and saw how precious they were. Um and said, um, "You don't have to do anything to get my love, and you're not—you're not wretched. You're not a worm. You're not any of those things that you're incredibly precious to me. Mm. And um, and and if we're that good as people, again, it's that 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 just that analogy of of my kids, and I I love them and I love them so much without them doing anything." And I, it's interesting that you talk about the filthy rags um, scripture because I've been thinking about that all this week. Um, the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> about how much, um, you know, we used verses like that to say, oh, just to shame people, basically. You know, we, did, we didn't ever think about that. As a pastor, I can tell you honestly, I didn't ever think about shaming people. or, But but subconsciously, what I was doing every week was saying, you know, you have a problem. And you're, you need this. You need what I'm selling. And, and we didn't ever think about it that way consciously. But subconsciously, that's what you've been trained to do. Uh, is kind of subconsciously shame people. And then say, well, here's the solution. Right. And I, I think it's important that we get away from that. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, as someone who wasn't raised in church, you know, my dad, he completely abandoned me at a young age. And so whenever I actually, as a teenager, got invited to a church and first felt you know, this family, this familial feeling that I'd never really felt before. And, and there was a Holy father that could love me. Um, you know, that was the, the idea of that was intoxicating. And, you know, then to get told later on, once I've decided to follow this man, this, this Jesus, you know, that I, you know, what I do for him is this filthy rags. It's like, damn, like, I'm never going to be good enough for anybody. Right. I was not good enough for right. my father. I'm, you know, I'm not good enough for So it's like, fuck, Jesus what can Christ. I do? You know, right. what can I do yeah. that's going to please anyone? And, you know, once I decided to leave the faith, of course, I felt so much better uh, about all the that stuff and thought, well, of course, you know, it's, it's just a ruse. But 
that whole idea of not being worthy, I think it's mm. so incredibly damaging and so incredibly harmful to people, you know, and I, I just, if there is going to be a, a, a community of people getting together for the purposes of worshiping a God or a deity, or even just for having a sense of community, I hope uh, certainly that they won't uh, employ that device of you are worthy and this product will save you from that. Yeah. And Laura wrote something really beautiful this week, and she she was trying to describe that. She was saying her father was also one that left her, that abandoned her, you know, early on in our adulthood. But um, she said, you know, she describes it as becoming an atheist. And then, you know, whatever beliefs she's developing now are new. But she talked about that um, this issue I had with God where he was distant and he didn't hear me, uh, you know, and, and my, like you say, my, my acts were bad and I, I wasn't pleasing him and, and the fact that he was distant from me was somehow my fault. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I want to find that and, <laughs> and send it to you guys to see how beautiful it was when she wrote it. Um, but it's just that thought of, of, yeah, you know, yeah, God, God is distant and retributive and, and somehow, oh, that's my fault. I, I don't think that's right anymore. You know, when, I is, don't, when I don't, is this new book coming out? Um, the tea shop will be out in the summer, I think. And then the book, the book about it's called uh, it's going to be called Out into the Desert. Um, our Facebook page is called the Desert Sanctuary um, because when people start to question their beliefs and so on, they kind of feel like they're wandering out in the desert. Um, so is the, that something you invite anyone to come and be a part of? That's on yeah, Facebook for sure, for sure. Okay. Um, so, but the new book will be called Out of the Desert thriving outside of the organized church or something like that. That's what it is right now. But it's probably the end of the year. We're just writing it now. Um, I would, uh, in a few weeks, we might be, we might have the text in it and we could share it with you guys personally, but it's still being published and so on. So, oh, that'd be awesome. So when, so when we all purchase a book, because I'm assuming we're going to, uh, do we get a signed copy? Uh, absolutely. Cool. You bet. That's what that's what we want. Okay. Uh, this this message. I mean, this conversation. Uh, I feel like I say this frequently on the podcast, but but truly, I've I've found this to be an to be very inspiring. Um, as someone who is gay um, and who grew up in uh, a very fundamental gay. Uh, <laughs> okay in a very fundamental background. Um, hearing another adult, specifically someone that was a pastor in my life, someone that I looked up to, um, being able to see some of the things that I feel like the LGBT community has experienced in regards to shame by the church, um, but also mm -hmm. so is everyone else. So really, it's not just a gay issue; yeah. it's it's a it's a human issue. Um, yeah. And I I found your perspective on that and your ever changing. Um, belief system to be quite frankly inspiring. 
And so, I mean, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And um, I have a copy of your book. I'm halfway through it. Um, But I really would encourage everyone to check out your book, um, Apparent Faith. Can they get that on Amazon or where would they go to purchase that? Yeah, it's on Amazon. You can get it for me directly, but it's on sale on Amazon right now. So, um, and it's available in audio, audible. Hell yeah. Do you read it? No, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't think I have the patience. (laughs) <laughs> to do that well make you know. sure you listen back to it because we've talked to some other authors who who did that and they weren't they weren't happy so they read their next yeah, one. i was i was really happy with mine i did i did listen to it it's like a four-hour listen it's pretty quick like that so hey, it's nice, not too bad nice. and then the podcast is called desert sanctuary i said carl's coaching but it's actually desert sanctuary is the name yeah, of the podcast correct yeah yeah and the web website is desert dash sanctuary was all that was available so that'll get you to my podcast and my blogs and yeah then the facebook is desert the desert sanctuary well everyone please feel free to check out um carl's uh, stuff and, and the work that he's doing and carl we just want to thank you so much for coming on thanks man peace thanks for listening to fade to gray podcast This episode was brought to you by our patrons. If you want to figure out how to support us, go to patreon.com backslash fade to gray podcast and join the group that helps support our podcast. To stay up to date, fade to gray podcast is part of the fade to gray network. If you'd like to know more, find us online at fade to gray podcast.com. There you'll be able to find out about other podcasts within our network. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, and Instagram at Fade to Gray Podcast and on Twitter at Fade to Gray Pod. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Until next time, guys. Peace. <laughs>